This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Drug prices in the U.S. are skyrocketing. In 2013, the first $1,000 pill went on sale. This year, the highest-priced therapy yet hit the market. Its price tag, $2 million. As prices ramp up, so does the political pressure to do something about it. And in a small office in Boston, a little-known group of health economists are doing something about it. They're convincing drug companies to drop their prices by embracing an intensely controversial idea that you can put a dollar value on human life. Today on the show, how a tiny think tank is lowering drug prices and raising tough questions about how much your health is worth. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Thursday, November 14th. The small group pushing some of the world's biggest companies to drop their prices is called ICER. It stands for the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review. Denise Rowland covers the pharmaceutical industry from London. And this group called ICER, they are based in Boston and they've got a staff of a couple of dozen people. It's not a big outfit. They are mainly health economists, academic types, sort of policy types. So they're kind of like a obscure think tank. Yeah, yeah. I don't think many people outside of the kind of nerdy health, economics-y pharma world will have heard of them. And what they do is, in some ways, very academic. They produce reports that look at drugs, assess their benefits, and attach to that what they consider to be a fair price. So say a company comes out with an ovarian cancer drug, and they price it at $14,000 a month. ICER will look at that drug look at what it does for patients, and come out with a report that says, actually, a fair price would be 7000 bucks a month. Now, ICER has no official power. They can't make the drug company adopt their price. But they can use these reports to shame the drug industry and get press, including from reporters like Denise. I would include these ICER reports in my stories, and, you know, I'd get reader questions and editor questions saying, well, how does this work? What do they mean fair? How can you figure that out? How can anyone say what a fair price is? And that's what got me onto digging a bit deeper where this came from and ultimately how it works. It was while digging into ICER's pricing that Denise learned about a decades-old health economics concept, a boring-sounding acronym that disguises an explosive idea that you can put a dollar value on someone's good health or even their life. The concept evolved in part to help economists answer this question. How do you decide what a drug is worth? If a drug helps a patient live longer or breathe more easily, what is the dollar value of that in the economy? And the answer economists came up with focuses on two things. The first is quality of life. An economist might ask, does this drug increase a patient's mobility or decrease pain? And the second thing 
is length of life. How many more months or years can a drug or therapy give you? You combine those two things, quality of life and length of life, and you get a unit of measure called a quality. So quality, Q-A-L-Y, stands for Quality Adjusted Life Year. One quality represents one year of perfect health, one great year. So a drug or a device that lets you live 15 more healthy years than you would have, say a pacemaker that keeps your heart going, that could be worth 15 qualies. It's adding 15 good years to a patient's life. On the other hand, a cancer treatment that extends your life just a few months, maybe with intense pain, that would be worth less than one quality, less than one good year. So my son has type 1 diabetes. Mm. That would affect his lifetime quality. Yeah, yeah. I guess health economists don't look at individuals, but they'll look at like a whole patient population and say, what's the baseline for these patients? And then what would it be if they took, I guess, in the case of diabetes, um, well, insulin's an obvious one. Uh, You know, without insulin, people with type 1 diabetes, well, they would die. But with, they could live a fully, a a full-length life healthily. So, yeah, on that score, you know, insulin would probably come up quite well on a quality analysis. And so the worth of a drug is how many qualies it adds. And in this case, like you're saying, insulin would score high. Exactly, yeah. But knowing that insulin can add 60, 70, 80 qualies to a person's life, that doesn't get you a price. And it's the price-setting part where things can get uncomfortable. Because the way you get a price is by assigning a dollar value to every quality, every year of healthy life. So ICER would value a quality at $150,000. $150,000. That's the value of one year of healthy life. And after that, it's just math. If a hypothetical drug adds, say, three good years to your life, and ICER's decided one year is worth $150,000, then it's 150000 times three. That's 450000 ICER would say a fair price for those meds should not exceed 450000 bucks over a patient's life. So how does ICER decide what a year of life is worth, that it's $150,000? It seems random. Yeah, it's definitely an art, not a science. There are lots of different economic theories about what a quality should be worth. Years ago, the WHO came out and said countries that use qualies seem to ascribe something between one and three times GDP per capita per quality. I think that's been subsequently questioned by some, but that's the sort of thing groups try and figure out, like what is underneath these values, because they are in some sense arbitrary. So the UK government uses qualies, and in the UK it's actually very low. It's uh, about £30,000, which is something like $38,000. So I'm $150,000. One year of good health in my life is almost four times one good year of your life? Uh, It's one way of fitting it. It seems like a highly controversial topic to put a dollar (laughs) value on a year of healthy living. Yes, yes. I think that it does stoke controversy and it can sound very utilitarian. And that when it comes to people's health, it kind of puts shivers up people's backs, I think. 
it's a difficult question to answer because you're asking what are people willing to pay for their health? And I think a lot of people would kind of say it's priceless in some ways, but everything does have a price in the end. Nobody really likes talking about this kind of thing because the idea of putting a dollar value on a human life just seems so crude. Qualies might be crude, but as the UK experience shows, they're also really effective at lowering drug costs. In the UK, the group that does quality analysis is called NICE, the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence. And they do what ICER does. NICE figures out how many qualies a drug adds to patients' lives, multiplies that by 38,000 bucks, or 30,000 pounds, which is the cost per quality in the UK, and it gets a price. But here's the big difference. In the UK, the price NICE calculates isn't just a friendly suggestion. It's enforceable. If a drug maker won't meet that price, the National Health Service, Britain's single-payer health system, won't buy the drug. And that's it. Brits won't get it. And would you say qualies are key to Britain's low drug costs? Yeah, I think what qualies provide is a rationale for saying no. I think the real power of a single-payer system, as this sort of government-run health system is known, is that they can refuse. They can say, we're just not going to pay for that, and you're not going to sell it into this country at that price. And the quality is their tool for justifying that decision. So the quality in itself isn't the reason, but it is the tool that allows the government to say no. And I think the saying no is the most powerful tool. In the U.S., there isn't the same power to say no. A drug maker can say this drug is $130,000, and if you're uninsured, that might be what you pay. If you are insured, that's the sticker price your insurer is looking at. And your insurer cannot refuse to pay for that drug just because it's too expensive. If the drug works and there aren't cheaper alternatives, insurers have to cover it. They aren't allowed to say no purely on the basis of cost. There was a drug that went on the market a few months ago by Novartis. It costs $2 million. It's a gene therapy for a very devastating disease in infancy that, without treatment, would kill the victim by the age of two. It's a horrible disease. Novartis has a gene therapy for this disease. It costs $2 million. But, you know, one insurer told me, we would have had to pay for it no matter what it cost. With something like that, you, you can't say no. We would have no grounds for refusing that to a patient. That's not true in the UK. And that difference shows up in the two countries' drug prices. Drug prices here uh, can be as little as half what they are in the U.S., so it works. Wow. But there's a price to pay in terms of access. On one hand, you have higher prices and access, and on the other hand, you have potentially limited access but free. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's precisely the trade-off you get, and I think they just come from two very different political ideologies fundamentally. Can you explain what you mean by that? I think the the sort of social contract in the US seems to be more of, well, I should be able to get the best health care in the world if I can afford it. If I work hard and I make a good salary, I want to live in a country that has the gold standard health care. If you have a system that can say no to things and cut them off from the population, then you're eroding that. 
Yeah, what was the... Uh, what did Sarah Palin latch on to? The death panels? Yes. The debate over health care reform getting ugly. Palin says the president's proposal amounts to a, quote, death panel of bureaucrats deciding who lives and who dies. The it's death panel was- comment... She originally made it in reference to end-of-life care in some way, but it definitely got then appropriated by various politicians to talk about deciding what drugs people do and don't get. So yeah, I think it can look like that. You are putting into the hands of policymakers life and death decisions in some ways. That fear of handing your healthcare decisions over to bureaucrats is deep-seated in America. It's one reason why the Affordable Care Act explicitly bans Medicare from using qualies. But qualies are jumping across the pond anyway, and they're changing how much Americans pay for drugs. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. This episode is brought to you by Canva. It's time to ditch your old presentation programs at work and try Canva presentations instead. It'll help you create stunning slides in no time. No design experience needed. Just start with one of the designer-made templates or generate something in seconds with AI. Then polish it up and get ready to wow your audience. It's that easy. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work. Tap the banner to learn more. Welcome back. The guy most responsible for raising the profile of qualies in America is Steve Pearson. He's the one who founded ICER, the wonky think tank in Boston. So he's a doctor. He's a professor at Harvard Medical School in population health. He had actually spent a year as a visiting fellow at NICE in the UK, which we mentioned earlier. NICE is the group that does quality analysis in the UK. They decide what drugs the British government will and won't buy. So he certainly saw how that operated and drew some inspiration from it and went back to the U.S. thinking, how could you bring this to the fore more in U.S. drug pricing decision-making? Pearson and ICER didn't just adopt the British system wholesale. For one thing, they made that big tweak. They raised the value of a quali from the U.K. value of $38,000. In America, remember, they said a year of healthy life is worth $150,000. The idea is that Americans have a higher willingness to pay for health care. Americans already spend quite a lot of money on health care. And I think he erred on the higher side. If you're going to be producing these reports and making these kind of calls on drug prices, best to kind of start on the generous side. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, even by that relatively generous measure, they find most drugs to be too expensive. And of those drugs that ICER found to be too expensive, did the companies lower the price? 
Yeah, they are credited with quite a few companies pricing their drugs lower than the market expected. So some examples are a migraine drug called Imovig, which before it launched, all the Wall Street analysts said, oh, we think it'll come out at something like eight to 10,000 US dollars. In the event, it was priced at 6,900, and this is an annual cost. And that was a surprise. Everyone thought it was a much lower price than they thought. Another one is this $2 million drug that I mentioned to you earlier, this gene therapy from Novartis. They'd actually, in the months ahead of launching it, said publicly that they thought it could be worth as much as $5 million because of this incredible life-saving ability it had. But in the event, they went with $2 million, which is still a very punchy drug price. Yeah, $2 million was a price cut. That was a price cut. <laughs> Amazingly, yes. And, you know, interestingly, when they came out with the drug and they announced the price, they specifically cited ICER. Not only did Novartis cite ICER, a Novartis president told Denise Novartis would always compare their price with ICER's price, even if they didn't ultimately take the group's recommendation. This is crazy, right? Like, this tiny think tank is telling big drug companies what they should price their drugs at. And the drug company is like, yeah, sure, we'll do that. <laughs> some of them are, yeah. And, you know, the ICER analyses can work in some pharma companies' favor. If your drug really is more effective than your competitor's drug— the ICER report will say that, and it will show that. As you know, the drug companies can in turn use an ICER report to gain some sort of credibility with the insurance companies. So it can work both ways. And, you know, I think what's happened here is ICER have come along and been at the right place at the right time. They've come along at a time when people are angry about drug prices. They've come along at a time when I think people are asking questions about how are drugs priced anyway? And this seems so unfair. And they've been able to give some sort of framework to what is fair and what isn't. But what's fair can turn out to be a tricky question. At the same time that ICER was using Qualys to lobby for fairer prices in the U.S., NICE, the Quali group in the U.K., was using them to justify cutting Brits off from a new drug. The drug, called Orkambi, treats cystic fibrosis, a genetic condition that largely affects kids. It can make breathing harder and harder over time and can be fatal. Orkambi's price was 104,000 pounds. It's one of the first drugs to really treat the underlying genetic cause of cystic fibrosis and therefore slows down the accumulation of mucus in your airways and that kind of thing. So prior to this drug, for most patients, the only treatment would be dealing with the symptoms once they arise. So if you get an infection, you just have to take antibiotics or something like that, whereas the idea is that this drug helps prevent you even getting that infection in the first place. Orkambi was cutting edge, but according to NICE, it was also way overpriced. For four years, the National Health Service and the drug maker haggled. So for four years, cystic fibrosis patients knew there was a good drug out there for them, but they knew they couldn't get it. Parents must have been infuriated by this. Yeah, 
Yeah, they were. And some were taking quite extreme measures as well. Some were personally importing a generic version of it from Argentina. Some were lobbying the government to overrule the patents so that Britain could have a generic. And then almost out of the blue, a couple of weeks ago, they came out with a deal and they didn't have announced the final price. So nobody knows what it is, but it's widely assumed that the NHS got a decent deal. Interestingly enough, ICER itself has looked at Orkambi and come to the same conclusion. I think it said Orkambi was something like 80% too expensive. Yeah, it's this real cold, cold policy analysis. And I feel like as a parent, you're like, there's this new drug. It could really help lengthen the life of my child. And that is priceless. Yeah, to a parent, the idea that it's not worth it I think is just so hard to swallow. Steve Pearson, ICER's founder, told Denise that he thinks conversations about drug pricing should be happening out in the open, not behind closed doors. And his goal for ICER is to provide independent information that can inform those hard conversations. Denise says one reason ICER's had any impact at all in the U.S. is that it is just a bunch of policy wonks writing reports informing the conversation. ICER's prices don't carry the weight of the U.S. government the way NICE's do in the U.K. But if that were to change, if companies were required to pay ICER's price the way pharma companies are in the U.K.? I think the industry would contend it quite furiously. The argument they always roll out is we need to mix money so that we can make new drugs. If you want us to keep producing new drugs, if you want us to remain like a really innovative industry, you need to pay us. And there is this abstract threat that drug R&D would dry up without high drug prices. It's hard to know how real the threat to R&D is. Mm -hmm. How low could pharma's profit margin go before it wasn't really viable or there was no incentive anymore to make new drugs? I don't think anyone knows the answer to that question. But the big question here still is... Can you put a price on human life? How are people thinking about that? Yeah, it's the question that these quality analyses raise. Is there a limit that we'll pay for drugs? I think the answer that the drug price controversy that's played out in the US over the last few years would say, well, there clearly is. People are angry about drug prices. People think they're too expensive. But when you have to come down to something as cold as defining it and putting a clear limit on it, it gets people very uncomfortable. So on the one hand, there's outrage about drug prices because they are very expensive. People instinctively think they're too high. But if you push people to say, well, what is the right price? It would be a very difficult question to answer. That's all for today, Thursday, November 14th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen. We come out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. 